on your friends, you wiggles. Are you Welcome to another episode of Hey You Guys, the ever-popular podcast on popular culture of the 80s and 90s by two guys who lived through them. I'm your host, Jeffrey Mack, joined as always by the Ms. Georgia Haas to my Juan Valdez Lopez, Mr. Scott Boyd. And if that analogy made no sense to you, maybe it will. So today's episode, we're going to be speaking about a game show that I thought was extremely popular in 1989, uh, but maybe it wasn't, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, but just like last week where we had a special guest, we also have a special guest this week. So uh, in today's episode, we're talking about a game from 1989 called Roller Games, and we'll be speaking about all of the behind the scenes antics and stories with the executive producer of Roller Games, Mr. David Sams. So Boyd. Um, you know, you, you were not so familiar with roller games, um, you know, prior to us deciding we needed to do an episode. Uh, so before we dive into the interview with David, just wanted to get a gut wrench, instant reaction. What did you think the first time you watched an episode of roller games on YouTube? So it really blew me away. It was, it's just this amazing uh, amalgamation of these of American gladiators and the WWF and roller derby. And man, I was just blown away by how much fun it was as this over the top spectacle. Yeah, I think that was that was perfect. It was a fun over the top spectacle. And as everyone will will hear in, in just a few moments, um, I, you know, I think I think David Sams was was amazing. I mean, the thing that I took from our chat with him, one, I mean, the guy just has had a tremendous career, but he's also, I would say probably the ultimate salesman. I mean, think about it. He was able to sell this idea of essentially roller derby on steroids with alligators to, you know, network executives to, to run on TV. Not only was he able to sell it once, but he was able to actually sell it twice because he did uh, have this um, running on Fox Sports uh, during the pandemic when there was no live sports running. So I thought it was an amazing interview. I think he's a, a really interesting gentleman. And I think the story behind you know, the, the franchise and how much thought actually went into it um, was, just, was just mind-blowing to me. What an impressive guy. I, I was just really blown away by how excited uh, but yet professional, how talented and how almost um, just just well uh, well stated the way that he really just took his idea and not only put it out there, but you mentioned he sold it. He sold something that just seemed like an impossible thing to sell. Yeah, and and to think the the idea came about. Uh, over margaritas. So I, I think as we start brainstorming future episodes, Boyd, you and I need to uh, to find a Mexican restaurant and some margaritas. And follow um, suit. Yeah, exactly. But with that, um, here's our interview with the producer of Roller Games, uh, David R. Sams. 
So really excited for today's episode, Scott. Um, we have an amazing guest to talk about an amazing topic uh, that is a television show. I don't know if we can call it a, a show. Television extravaganza, perhaps. Um, television event is, is sort of how I talk about it with, with my wife and some of my other friends. Um, but, but we're going to be talking about uh, a TV show from, uh, I believe it was 1989, uh, that ran into to 1990, uh, that was called Roller Games. And before we dive in uh, to the discussion and talk to our, our guest, I did want to just give a brief story around why this is so near and dear to my heart. So when I was a kid in 1989, I think I was, I was 10 years old, actually. So, so still relatively young. Um, my neighborhood, you know, there were a bunch of other kids. You know, we were the type of, uh, of, of neighborhood and the type of kids that we'd be outside all day long, you know, playing street hockey or, or basketball or manhunt or, or whatever. Um, but we would always sort of take a break from whatever activity or whatever sport we were playing to run inside, um, you know, somebody's house to watch a few television shows. And one of the television shows that we always watched was a show called Roller Games, which at that time, you know, being 10 years old, I mean, it was a lot to take in, but it was a show that for me, I thought was amazing. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And as I grew older, you know, I tended to, to sort of forget that the show existed. And then at some point, maybe when I was in college, uh, for whatever reason, the memory was like jogged in my mind. I was like, hey guys, you know, I tell all my friends and, and everyone in the dorm, like there was this show with these rollerbladers and this giant wall and this alligator pit. And it was basically roller derby and, and people would throw skaters into the alligator pit. And these were like real alligators and nobody believed that this was a real thing. Everyone was like, there's zero chance that that was real. You're not going to throw people into an alligator pit. Um, and I told everyone, no, I swear to God, this is real. This is totally real. Uh, again, nobody believed me. And then fast forward a few years, I think I was on YouTube trying to find evidence that this show existed. And I found a clip that I shared with everybody uh, and, and proved that the greatest show, or at least the greatest roller skating show <laughs> in, in the history of mankind uh, was real. And in today's episode, we're really lucky to have David Sams, who, David, we're, I guess you were the executive producer uh, of the show and an on-air talent. Um, joining us to, to, to talk a little bit uh, about roller games and, and give us a little bit of the, the backstory uh, behind how the show came to be and, and maybe some great behind the scenes story. So David, thank you so much for, for joining us. I'm really excited. Thank you gentlemen for having me. I appreciate it. This is fun. Awesome. So I guess before we, we dive into the, to the whole roller games uh, thing, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, I did a little bit of research on, on yourself and, you know, what I found before Roller Games, you know, you seem to have a really successful stint in, in television um, at King World. And King World, I actually knew exactly what it was when I, when I read that. But for the people who may not know what King World is, um, when you were there, you were probably pretty instrumental and helped develop, I don't know, two of the most successful game shows in, in television history, Wheel of Fortune and, and Jeopardy. And then I believe you follow that up by working on the development of the Oprah Winfrey show. So, I mean, how in the world did you end up going from those shows? And maybe if you want to give us a little bit of background on, on your career up to that point, how did you go from those shows working at King World to then bringing Roller Games, uh, you know, to television? Well, you know, the 80s was a pretty wild uh, period for me because I started out in uh uh, local television. Um, I, I went to college for about a half a semester and uh, I sold my first show when I was 18 hmm. and uh, I, I created America's first tabloid television show and, you know, way before extra and all those other shows that right. came decades later. And uh, I, you know, I went to, I went to King world. I, I was one of uh, uh, nine original employees of King World, and five of them, their last names were, were happened to be King. Right. Uh, and uh, I went to work for Roger and Michael T King, two of the greatest salesmen in the history of the business. And they uh, acquired the rights to Wheel of Fortune from Merv Griffin. Uh, well, actually, Merv Griffin always owned the show, but but they acquired the syndication rights when NBC had uh, canceled the show. And then they decided they needed somebody to help get out there and uh, market it. So they brought me on. And uh, I was uh, at that time had a promotion and uh, marketing and moved up the ranks very quickly. 
uh, and and uh, put uh, Wheel of Fortune on the air with the King Brothers, and then uh, two years later, we put on uh, Jeopardy, and then uh, in 1986 we launched uh, the Oprah Winfrey Show. She was a local talk show host in Chicago, and uh, we acquired the rights to uh, syndicate. Uh, she was doing AM Chicago, and we turned it into the Oprah Winfrey Show, and. Mm. And then uh, over the years, we, we developed other shows. But uh, in 1989, uh, I had uh, just left King World, and I wanted to uh, sort of uh, do something new and unique. And when I grew up, uh, such as yourself, my, my uncle was a, a big fan of roller derby. And when I was a little kid, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, he'd take me to the Cincinnati Gardens to watch uh, roller derby on, on banked track. And uh, I never forgot that, you know, it had that kind of impact on me, probably like it did on you. Of course, there was no wall of death. There was no sky, <laughs> sky jump, no alligator pit. But, you know, I, I, you know, after launching the three biggest shows in the history of syndication, you're like, man, I got to think of something original and I got to I got to outdo myself. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after, after a few margaritas at the El Coyote in the restaurant, I love that restaurant, by the way. Love it. Oh, I love that restaurant. My, one of my favorite and and um, favorites. And my partner, Mike Miller, and I, uh, we 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 would we would get a little crazy. Um, and you know, we we dream this stuff up. And and you know, I I had launched a couple of other shows uh, that year and the year before, and you know, and another talk show and that sort of thing. And and I just decided, man, I let's do something fun. And so we started thinking about um, all kinds of crazy sports that we could sort of reinvent. I mean, I even thought of water polo. I thought, man, the <laughs> girls would love to watch the guys, uh, you know, without in, in the water. Right? So we, we, and then, and then one night it just hit me, man, roller derby, roller derby, man. When I was a kid, I loved that thing. And I wonder what happened to roller derby. And roller derby was still out there, but you know, it was it was the old sort of presentation. And I just thought, man, what if we jazzed it up and we brought on new teams and new uniforms and and then we had obstacles. I don't know if you remember the movie The Running Man. No, I don't. Uh, but that, okay, well, look it up. Okay. Uh, you know, that that also came out of, you know, and, and I thought, man, what if we could combine like The Running Man and Roller Derby and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, and then I'd start looking to who, who controls the rights. And, and actually, there was a thing called Roller Derby when then there's Roller Games. And... And I decided to look into both, and uh, I, I got a hold of uh, the guys that controlled roller games, and I said, "Hey guys, you know what? Um, how would you like to uh, how would you like to put a fresh coat of paint on this thing? I'd love to acquire the rights to reinvent it." And uh, then we just started dreaming. Uh, we started thinking, "Oh my gosh, what could we dream up?" And at that time, you know, uh, you know, the kids were starting to do the whole bank track thing. Uh, you know, the the you know, the walls and all that, they were, they were messing around with that. And of course uh, we thought, well, let's, let's do a sky jump. You know, that would be cool. But then, you know, how do you do that on a oval track? Well, that's yeah. when we came up with the idea of the figure eight track with the sky jump in the middle. And then uh, the alligator pit, you bring up the alligator. Pit. Originally it was not an alligator pit. Originally it was just a water pit because I figured, you know, I figured they, the, the players could knock each other in and have a, you know, they could have a water battle mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, that, that would make for interesting TV. And, and uh, one day uh, I was being interviewed. We, 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 we had come out with the uh, presentation, you know, we didn't have a pilot. We had a, uh, because uh, the track was going to cost about $800,000 to build. Oh wow! Nobody was going to put up that money. So what, what we did is we, we had this uh, artist rendition of the set, done with the figure eight track and and then i brought in all the players and we did concept uniforms and did a photo shoot and we did a beautiful brochure as though this was the uh the nfl you know and then that's what we took out and sold the tv stations was hey we're gonna have roller games and we're gonna have cheerleaders and all these great teams and and they're gonna you know fight to the end and and uh, one day I was being interviewed by a reporter from the Associated Press. 
And, you know, the guy was interviewing me and he says, uh, you know, and I could tell he didn't want to be interviewing the guy that's bringing back, uh, you know, this sport. You know, he he thought he should be at the White House, you know, um, in the White House press conferences. Right. And so he the whole time he he just had this like really bad attitude. But, you know, I'm I'm showing him the uh, artist rendition and it it gets down to the uh, the water uh, uh, obstacle. And he, and he looks at that and I go, yeah, they're going to come around here and knock each other. And, and, and the guy looks at me and he leans over and he says, what's in there? Alligators, like real <laughs> sarcastically. And I just looked at him and I could tell he was just peeved. I just leaned over and I said, it could be devastating. <laughs> and what happened is that two days later, the guy writes an article says roller derby reinvented with alligators. Oh no. <laughs> All of a sudden, the phone rang off the hook. We had every TV station in America, every TV said, I want that show where the alligators are trying to eat the players. That's amazing. So the next thing you know is that I got to deliver that daggone thing. All all of a sudden, we've gone from 50% of the country cleared by stations to uh, the phone was ringing off the hook. General manager was like, I want the show where they're trying to eat the uh, people. And I'm like, man, this is this is. Now, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I thought I'm, I'm like, uh, how do I deliver a show with alligators in it? And then I had to go back to the guys that ran the uh, quote unquote league, you know, that controlled the thing. And I said, Hey, you know, we got to put alligators in that thing. And I, I I'm not going to use the language I use, but man, he pounds down his drink and he says, no way. I'm not putting my people out there. They'll get eaten, eaten alive. <laughs> Amazing. And I said, man, we've got, we've got to put alligators in there. Uh, you know, that's the only way they'll buy the show. So, um, I, you know, I, 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 I don't mean to keep going on with this story, but, uh, was- uh, let, let, let's just say that, um, uh, I then had to educate myself on alligators. I had to go to Florida. I had to talk to alligator handlers. I had to figure out a way to, uh, and the bottom line is, is that we discovered that when you put alligators in a, a certain temperature of water and, uh, you know, they basically, they sleep. Mm. Okay. And, and, um, you know, they don't come alive unless it's warm. So, they're, they're, you know, I went back to the league and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to. We're going to put them in there and they won't move. And, but, but, but at least we'll have a chance to dump them in there and people will get all excited about it. And, and the guys told me, they said, no way we turn on the TV lights. It's going to warm up the studio and it's going to get warm and they're going to come alive and eat the people. <laughs> so but nobody was eaten. So I guess, no, I guess- no. So what, what I had to do is finally, we were, we're like two weeks away from taping the first episode. And I'm like, what am I going to do? The press is coming. All the people are coming. All the TV stations are expecting live alligators. Um, and so I, and and so I decided, okay, I am going to do something very unique. I am going to hire stunt guys Mm -hmm. and the stunt guys are going to wear masks like the old role, uh, the old wrestling. Yep. Yep. And they will be brought out if a game ends in a tie and that we'll have a one-on-one skate off and the objective is to knock your opponent into the alligator pit and score the extra point. And I told my people, I said, we're going to, we're going to redefine sudden death overtime. David, I was going to say the exact same thing. Literal, <laughs> sudden death. It's unbelievable. So, so, so that's what we like, did. I was going to say, I mean, so I guess like that you know, sort of leads into another question I want to ask you in terms of like, you know, it's a, like, where did you the, like walk us through the development process, but you sort of just did, right. You had some margaritas, you came up with something that was really over the top. And then the question I was going to follow up with was how that, how do you actually sell that concept right to get it on tv but i guess you sell it with alligators <laughs> yeah yeah well you know you have to capture the attention of the uh buyer uh, because it's show business it's show business i mean people people many times forget is that uh, you've got to put the show up front and um you know this is a situation where it was the dawn of what was referred to as crash tv we came out the same year that uh, American Gladiators came out. 
Yep. And the TV like this had never really been done before. And uh, that, so, so we sold it as a competitor to Saturday night live. That's that we really wanted to be on uh, ABC and CBS affiliates against NBC on Saturday nights at 1130. Right. Which is when rest WWF was, was on with their Saturday night live program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we were able to clear a lot of stations, but where we really had the most success was on Saturday uh, around noon. And a lot of stations aired us back to back at that time with the, the, the then WWF, which is now WWE. They, they would air the shows back to back. And that's where we got our biggest ratings. So was your audience, um, I mean, I guess who was your target audience? If you were getting a lead in from the WWF at that time, right? Was it kids? Was it older? I mean, who was your, who was your target demo? Well, our target, our target demo when, when we were, we we originally designed to show up to go up against Saturday Night Live, right. so it it was really it was really a male crowd that was uh, eighteen plus, um, and uh, you know we didn't even we didn't even think about the kids at the time, right. <laughs> and you know we also booked big 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 rock acts. We had uh, we had Deborah Harry, we had Warrant, we had Kumo D, Expose. We Peter I mean Ford. it was. Lita Ford. It, it was amazing the acts uh, that we were that we got back in those days because we were up against Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. But what happened is that uh, we were on the air for about three weeks, and a few stations had uh, cleared us, uh, mean, meaning that uh, they were airing us uh, at noon on Saturdays, and we noticed that we were getting a uh, tremendous uh, number of kids watching on Saturday morning. So a lot of the stations moved us from Saturday night to Saturday morning, which was not our objective. I mean, the show was truly too expensive to put on Saturdays at noon. You know, it was really designed to be against Saturday Night Live. But we found a tremendous amount of uh, viewership there. So a lot of stations – now, some stations actually double ran it. They, they, they ran it in the middle of the day Saturday mm -hmm. and then late nights Saturday. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's funny that you you say because I mean obviously I was I was a ten year old watching the show really into it, but I was watching it a few days ago in uh, my living room and I have uh, I have three kids so I have a four year old a two year old and a six month old, and I was watching it in the in their in our TV room. My four year old was in there watching, and my my son and my wife walked in uh, right during the alligator dance number. Oh and, yeah, uh, <laughs> and she goes, "What are you watching?" She's like, "Turn this off. This isn't for kids." And I laughed and I go. No, no, it's for kids. I used to watch this when I was ten years old. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the uh, those uh, the uh, roller gator dance where we had the um, we brought out the roller gator, which was a ten foot alligator, mm -hmm. and we had a number of uh, muscle guys bring him out, and we of course had fog machines and the light effects and all that, and then the dancers were we basically ripped them off from what there, there was a show called solid gold back in the 80s it was I, huge. I remember that show yeah and there were there was a solid gold dancers so it was a it was like a music countdown kind of show mm -hmm. and then they had the solid gold dancers with these, these beautiful women with long legs and they had the moves and and uh, that was a big popular show back then and so we kind of modeled our our dancers after the solid gold dancers, actually the dancers, they, they were also our cheerleaders. So <laughs> yeah, they doubled as both cheerleaders and, and uh, dancers. Can you, I mean, I'll, I'll let Boyd jump in in a second, but I, I wanted to ask you, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the casting process because, you know, Boyd and I, as, as, you know, typical guys, we were saying, you know, those cheerleaders were all of them were very attractive women. <laughs> so can you, yeah. I mean, where did you find, find everyone, including Shelly, right? Jameson. Uh, just, I would love to just know, I mean, it seems like that was probably one of the best casting processes ever. Um, can you just give us some insight into what that looked like back then? Well, I'm, I'm originally from Ohio. So, you know, I'm a big Ohio state Buckeye fan. Mm -hmm. So my play by play guy was Chuck Underwood. I used to listen to him, when I was in, uh, you know, back in my early days in, in Ohio, he was the uh, he was the play by play guy for Ohio State football, and I thought, man, I, I I've always loved Chuck Underwood, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make him my uh, play by play guy. That you know, the the uh, the uh, trackside announcer, uh, um, um, Shelly Jameson, she was a 
news anchor in Phoenix who had been fired because she appeared in Playboy. Mm -hmm. So I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give her a job. So, <laughs> so I called her up and she said, are you kidding me? I get to come to Hollywood. By the way, she's now the number two person. And uh, she, she, she has, she's an acclaim has an incredible career after uh, roller games and, I, and roller games had nothing to do with it, by the way, she's now the assistant fire chief of the Phoenix police or Phoenix fire department. No yeah, it's incredible. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And she's very decorated and she's just amazing. And uh, Chuck Underwood, by, by the way, is now America's number one generational expert. He, he goes all over the country and makes corporate speeches on America's five living generations. So wow. <laughs> how, how these two actually went from roller games to those two professions, who knows? <laughs> and then the players, you know, the only team that actually existed uh, with the, the LAT birds, they're a legacy team. They were, you know, the original roller games team. They were very popular back in the seventies uh, and eighties. And so that's where the foundation of the players came from. Uh, and the training came from, uh, there was a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Griffiths and Bill Griffiths jr. Who actually owned the T birds. And they, 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 this was their, 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 this is what they did for a living. You know, I mean, they, they loved roller games. And then um, we had some amazing trainers like the legendary Ralphie Valadares, who's no longer with us. And of course you'll see him in the show. If you watch the show um, on our roller stars, uh, YouTube channel, Ralphie Valadares, we called him uh, the living legend. And um mm -hmm. Uh, he, uh, he, 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 he trained the players. Uh, he was the lead trainer. And then, and then the, the other teams were, uh, we, we, we did a casting call, uh, several casting calls. And then from that, the players trained for about six months. I mean, these were like oh, wow. checkout clerks. These were, these were people that you'd see at the grocery store checking you out. And, but boy, now they got to be a TV star. Mm -hmm. it went through all the rigorous training. I mean, it, 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 it was, you know, and there were, you know, people, people got injured and they, they, uh, they stuck it out. Now the T-Bird twins, the two lovely T-Bird mm -hmm. twins who, um, uh, who play a, 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 an important role in the original series, those girls, uh, the Van Gelder sisters, they, what what happened is that one day I was having a lunch, I believe at the it was the Cheesecake Factory in in um, in um, um, Marina Del Rey, I believe it was California, and uh, one of the one of them happened to be my my uh, server, my my waitress. Oh, wow. and, and, uh, I'm like, um, wow. Uh, and by the way, she was stunning and, and uh, was great at her job. And uh, she served me and we got to talking and, uh, you know, I'm, I looked at her and I go, do you skate? <laughs> uh, by the way, that was a great line back then. Yeah, I right? <laughs> <laughs> and she says, yeah, I skate. And so does my twin sister. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have died and gone to heaven. <laughs> And that's, and that's so funny too. So you mentioned, and you mentioned the, the T-Birds being the original, um, the original team from back then. And um, that kind of brings me to a question of technically it was a reboot. So, um, so why was it time to do the reboot then? And, and would there be any interest in rebooting the reboot now? Well, back then, you know, roller derby was, uh, you know, on an oval track and, and, uh, they, they had done several, a lot of TV games back in the sixties and seventies. And even into the eighties, they had some of the old roller derby, uh, from the, uh, for example, the Olympic auditorium, but you know, it was a, it was a down and dirty production. It was nothing like this. I mean, you know, face it. I hired my director was Chet Forty. He invented Monday Night Football with right. Ruin Arledge. You know, so they didn't have that. Um, you know, I decided to basically, like I said, I'd come off of a Wheel Jeopardy and Oprah, and I had to sort of outdo myself. So you know, 
that's why I put this cast together and this did this crazy production and built this uh, million dollar set and actually got somebody to, you know, give me the money to do it. Um, it, it, it was at a perfect time at a perfect place in the world where it was. And by the way, if you watch this thing today, there is so much political incorrectness in it. Oh yeah. But, <laughs> But it's great. <laughs> Completely, but it's great. It's this perfect quintessential intersection of 1989. Like you mentioned, American Gladiators came out at the same time. Very WWF, very Monday Night Football. It had roller derby. It was it was really uh, a perfect intersection of all of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we hit it at the right time. There's no doubt about it. And it was uh, it was something that, uh, you know, honestly, we thought it would go on for years. I mean, we had designed this thing to uh, not only have the TV show, but the tour. And uh, mm-hmm. we had all kinds of merchandising. You know, I did, I think, over a million dollars in merchandising advances before we shot one episode. I, I have sitting in my basement a Roller Games pinball machine. Oh, stop. Uh, by Williams Bally. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the full, it, you know, it's, the, it's, you know, plus we had an electronic uh, a game that, that was in arcades. We had a uh, Nintendo game. We had roller games, uh, you know, the uniforms for Halloween. We had a, a lunch box, a lunch, you know, that back in those days you had lunch buckets for school. Uh, we had, um, you know, I mean, we had satin jackets. We had all kinds of stuff. And so this thing was really designed to, to be the next, um, you know, like the WWF was. It was, it was to be the next uh, sports entertainment franchise back then. It certainly was over the top and, and, and really just really amazing for sure. The, any, the Nintendo game looked amazing. Um, I, I did see the arcade game as well, even cooler. Um, I, I was very impressed. I mean, I was very impressed with the, with the whole thing. Even the athleticism of the skaters was just paramount. There was this 370-pound uh, man named Icebox who just floated like butter on his skates. It was it was really, really something. Yeah, Icebox. Uh, you, you know, we had, we had various characters. We had Mr. Mean. You know, we, we basically had three, three teams from uh, the Western Alliance. And then we had three teams from the Eastern Empire. And it was basically three good, good versus three evil teams, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, you know, the teams were like uh, Bad Attitude, the Violators, uh, the Rockers, Hot Flash, um, the T-Birds. Uh, who did I, what, what did I leave out? I left out one of them. But uh, they, they, uh, they, were, um, they were specifically designed to be cops and robbers, good guys, bad guys, you know, good, good versus evil you know, on, on TV and the players had these personas. Like we had Mr. Mean, uh, versus, uh, you know, um, uh, living legend, right? The living legend, Ralphie Valadares. And we had, uh, you know, sweet Stephanie, uh, of the violators who, you know, is, is, uh, she, she actually today owns the, uh, T-Birds. Um, Yeah, 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 and and she she was fantastic. She still is, and and she could put on one heck of a, a heck of a show. And so she was on the Violators, and she was one of the the bad girls, the evil one. And then we, of course, we had the T Bird Twins. You know the, you know the 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 beautiful blondes who basically, you know, the whole storyline was that uh, you know they had never been separated at birth, but. By uh, episode uh, three or four, uh, Ms. Georgia Haas of the Bad Attitude, the coach, she discovered that the T-Bird twins were illegally drafted as one entity, and she demanded that they be split up and go to um, go to the uh, evil teams. So, um, yeah, uh, and then, of course, we had a big vote for America. Should the T-Bird twins be split up? And back in those days, we used to have a 900 number and everybody could vote for a buck a call. And we, I think we made another million dollars on people voting. And, 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 and by the way, you know, 96% of America said, do not separate the twins. You cannot do that. You cannot separate the twins. 
Well, that's, that's so funny that, that, I mean, the had, you had legit storylines. What other, I mean, what, what were those meetings for the episodes like? Well, first of all, you, you brought up the athleticism. That is 100% absolute legit. You cannot fake that. I mean, there, there is no fake in it. You know, those, those, uh, those skaters are absolute 100% real athletes. And, and those things that you see on, on the track, uh, you know, those are not uh, planned. I mean, you know, these, all, all the skating, you know, they're, 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 they're in it. They are in it to win it. You know, where the storylines come into play is the, is the, is the, when it comes to the, to the dramatics, you know, the good versus evil thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows who their arch enemy is. So, you know, like when the players get into it on the infield, uh, on the uh, bumpers, uh, you know, going into the breaks, you know, none of that, that's real dialogue. Those are people going after each other. Huh. Yeah. No, no, no. We didn't have like script writers scripting this stuff out. Oh, I no, thought they, for sure you did. No, 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 no. Wow. I mean, they basically knew what the premise was and, and what they stood for. You know, it's like if you're if you're uh, if you're a superhero, if you're Superman and, and you know, you're up against one of your your enemies, uh, you know, you're 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 going to be Superman. You're going to play Superman. You know, you know what your role is. In other right. words, you know, you know what you stand for, you know truth justice in the american way you know you're not gonna uh, all of a sudden turn into a bad guy saying bad things so it's, all, it, it's not as if it was scripted as much as it was um almost improvised hey you're gonna play this you're playing that and go and go and by the way if you if, if you happen to be going around the track and somebody knocks you over and you split your head well too bad <laughs> <laughs> by the way that happened a couple times i don't even know if we could get insurance for this thing today to tell you the truth yeah, no, that's what I was going to So partially the, the sort of the next question I wanted to ask you, and you alluded to this a few times, like the show, I mean, it, it felt, especially the premiere episode, right? It felt like, like an event. Um, and I'm sure that that was intentional, but with that intent probably came the need for a pretty large budget. Um, so, you know, you said you had Warrant, Lita Ford, Debbie Harry performing, I mean, your theme song, I think, was sang by a DC Getchall, right? He sang that live. Right, um, right. Like, everything was just big. And then even you explaining, you know, when you were sitting in, uh, you know, in the restaurant thinking this up, I mean, it was like, how big, how can we go big, right? So, I mean, how, during that time, were you able to secure the necessary budget, which I'm assuming was probably probably one of the more expensive shows to put on, um, I mean, how did, how did you get the green light and the money to, to put on the extravaganza? Yeah, it, it was very expensive at the time. It was, it, you know, the production of those 13 episodes at the time was uh, close to $4 million, which, um, you know, you're talking about 30, what, what 30 years ago? Well, yeah. How many years ago is that? 30, 30 years? Yeah, 30 years. Yeah. 30, 30, 31, years. 30, 30, 31 years ago. So you can, you know, it, it, that'd be double that now. So. Uh, and you're talking about for a syndicated show that, you know, this was not like a movie, right? <laughs> so it was very expensive to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we were able to raise some of the money. Well, first of all, I, I you know, I, I found a distributor that was, um, uh, you know, I got them to believe. And they also wanted to, to some extent, take over Hollywood. And that, that, that by the way, is a whole other story. And, uh, and, and on top of it, uh, uh, they, they were looking for a show that would give them a lot of uh, prestige uh, in the TV syndication business. Now, I, I don't mean prestige like Oprah. I mean, just like bells and whistles and, oh, my gosh, can you believe this type of thing? And the other thing is that we, like I said, we did over a million dollars of advances for our merchandising. So that went toward the production, a lot of it. And we raised money with the uh, 900 calls where people voted. That went toward the budget. I mean, I just I I I, I thought of all these ways we could raise a dollar here and a dollar there. And of course, ultimately, we were going to go out and tour this thing and make millions. That was the plan. It didn't work out that way, but that was the plan. And I think at the end of the day, we accomplished everything. We set out to accomplish in season one, uh, you know, that two hour premiere that you mentioned, which is on YouTube on our roller stars channel, you know, I, I, I will, I will tell you that 
people go, why in the world did you start out, start out with the world championship, the commissioner's cup? Right. Um, well, the reason being is that we wanted to have a, a way of introducing America to all of the teams and the scenarios in a two hour special. We just, we didn't want to make it just a regular game. So we thought, you know what, let's back into the season or the next season by, by beginning with the tail end of the previous season so that people go, Oh, like this is the NBA championship. You know, this is, this is the world series. Oh my gosh. And by, by the way, we, we actually put that in prime time, that aired in prime time across America in, in September of 1989, September 12th, I believe it was. And it did unbelievable ratings because everybody thought they were watching it like a real championship. Right. That's genius. That's in, genius. In, in New York, it did a nine rating. So 10% of the people in New York City with a TV set in New York, were they were watching this thing. That's, I mean, that's crazy. So, I mean, after that, that first episode, I mean, I'm sure your, your mind was like, wow, like this is, I don't know, bigger than I thought it was going to be, what I thought it was going to be. I mean, what was your, what was your feeling after that when you saw those ratings? Oh yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I, I, well, well, you know, I, I, then again, I come off a of wheel Jeopardy and Oprah. And by that time I thought everything I put on the air could get those kind of ratings. You know I mean? It, it, get, it goes to your head a little bit, but you know, I was done with the, uh, with the, with, with some of the numbers coming out of some of the major markets like New York. When you think of one out of 10 people that live in New York city watched my show last night, that's pretty crazy. Now, you know, by, by today's standards, you know, a show gets a one rating or two rating, it gets renewed. It's like, really? Right. Nobody's watching it and it gets renewed, you know, and that's because they make their money and all the aftermarket and the streaming and all that sort of thing. They just use the networks basically to make the stuff to begin with. Uh, but um, back in those days, you know, you get a, you get a nine, 10 rating that, that was, that was, that was off the charts. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about it going off the air, but before I do that, um, like we had mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the characters, um, you know, were some of the, the some of the, I, I think, the, you know, the biggest thing of, of the show. And I know Scott has a character he wants to ask you about, but I also have one. So I'll selfishly go first. Um, animal, right? The alligator handler. <laughs> how, how, like, I was telling Boyd, you know, earlier when we were preparing for this, you know, right around that time, if you were to ask, you know, somebody on the street, hey, what does an alligator handler look like? They're going to probably tell you somebody that looks like Crocodile Dundee, right? Right, and, right. And on your show, <laughs> probably the <laughs> furthest thing from from Crocodile Dundee. So I'm just curious. I mean, how did you come up with the concept of that character, and what prompted you to think that instead of you know a Paul Hogan clone, you're going to have this Greek god, um, you know, come out of the fog? I'm just curious how you guys come, came up with that decision. It's called eye candy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we we wanted to create some we, we wanted to create this character that we could merchandise that we could create um you know uh, uh you know the uh the characters that you had back in those days the mm. the miniature characters the action and figures right yeah. the action figures yeah and uh so we thought you know let let's 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 find a guy that's a real hunk that can give any wrestler a run for his money mm -hmm. his body wise Let's find a guy that looks like Fabio. Uh, Fabio back in those days was like on every romance book cover. I mean, he was the 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 dream of every woman, you know. And so we 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 basically went to central casting to find him. And you nailed and, it. And, yeah, and I, I I do think we nailed it. It it, it if you watch it, I mean, there's still women who watch that that write to me going how can i get a hold of him <laughs> so, do you know what he's doing these days no and you know what i've tried to find him and i've tried to find him online and i've had absolutely zero success oh i, I actually tried to find him too and we were going to try to surprise you by having him come on but i could not i could not find him anywhere so <laughs> but uh you know my, that's that's the point where my wife walked in like i said and she was like what, what, what is this what do you what, what was what was he like around the alligators was he actually like cool with the alligators was he scared of them i mean well at all times, we had the uh, we had the trainers, we had the alligator handlers uh, near nearby. I mean, it, you are correct. He had to actually carry an alligator around, which we show in the show a few times. Mm -hmm. You know, he he actually had to carry it like with his two arms out and ha had to 
lift it. And of course he didn't carry the 10 foot alligator. He'd carry like a, a, the smaller alligators. But at at one point we asked him to, uh, you know, tape the alligator's mouth, which I think we have on the show. Yeah. It's Um, on the first episode. Yep. Can you imagine getting away with that today? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no way. Gaffer's tape on an alligator. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, the, the other character, and I don't know, Boyd, I'll let you jump in because it's your favorite. Yeah. I mean, it's literally the exact opposite of animal, which I think is hysterical. <laughs> um, but having like the old lady playing the heel is such an interesting angle. I always felt with uh, you mentioned Georgia Haas earlier. Um, oh, pardon me, pardon me. It's Ms. 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 Excuse me. That's right. That's right. Um, so tell me about kind of where she came from. And I, I thought she was um she was in the, the original back in the 60s. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, she 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 was a legend. She played, she actually was uh she she played on the teams and she uh she was the heel, she became a great coach, and she was always the troublemaker. And I, I remembered her when I was putting this thing together. I remembered her, and I'm like, man, she has got to be the center of attention. And even the uh, the the Bill Griffiths told me, man, she will light up the TV. She will light up the the ratings, and uh, we've got to put her in there. And it's it's funny because here was an older woman uh, who. Uh, you know, you know, back in those days, everybody was chasing the, uh, you know, we'd come off the fair faucets and, uh, you know, all these gorgeous girls. And here, here we put on a woman who, I don't know how old Georgia was at the time. Of course, you know, back in those days, I was, uh, I was a kid when I did this and I thought everybody was old around me and they well, were. You have <laughs> a mullet. So <laughs> yes, yes, that, that is very true. But uh, yeah, no, she had to be in the show, and boy, did she play it! She played it well. I, I love the the scenes where she would go after our cameraman. She was so good, she was <laughs> so good. Yeah, I'm actually a little shocked that the WWF didn't try to to poach her because she would be a, a you know perfect manager on, on their show on our program as well. So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I was I was uh, you know when we went off the, the air and I and I and we'll get into that. You asked about that, mm-hmm. you know, I was really surprised I didn't get a call from Vince McMahon. Uh, because this would have been a natural fit for, uh, you know, uh, for those folks. Yeah. And, and actually, I, w- I wanted to ask you that too, because you, you obviously had an on-camera role. You were one of the announcers. And when I, when I learned that that was you, the first thought that popped into my mind was, was Vince McMahon, right. Who had his start as the announcer, right. For, for his, his show. I mean, was there, what was, what prompted you, I guess, to, to go in front of the I, camera? Was, was Vince an inspiration for you? I had never been on camera before. I've always been the wizard behind the curtain. I was always uh, an executive. I, I was always a producer. I've produced about 3,500 hours of uh, TV and one Emmys and all that. And I, I just never, I just never pictured myself in, in an on-camera role. But what happened is that we got a few weeks out from taping. I mean, I think it was about, we were four or five weeks and we had this whole thing put together. We had Chuck, we had Shelly, we had the players, um, we, we had the graphics, we had uh, DC Getchell and the music, everything was together, but we did not have our uh, color commentator. And uh, Chet Forty, my director, great director, one of the greatest directors in the history of sports who co-invented Monday Night Football with r- the legendary Rune Arledge. You know, we went out to dinner one night, and he, he, he sat across the table, and he says, David, you have got to be the commentator. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, you're the only one who knows what the heck is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and that's what I was going to say. You, but you, I think- he says, you've got all this in your head, you know, and, and at least you can go out there and you can keep the storyline going because Chuck is phenomenal at being the straight guy. He's phenomenal at being the guy that keeps the action going and, and uh, connects all the dots uh, with, with all the play-by-play stuff. But as far as making Ms. Georgia Haas the heel, and as far as making Icebox the the 380-pound, uh, you know, back in those days, I don't remember. He was modeled to some extent after uh, the uh, the uh, the fridge, right? The fridge, uh huh. The bears. So, you know, somebody had to kind of get these points across and, and, and Chuck's a legit guy. He was a legit 
sports guy. Of course, this has totally ruined his sports career, but <laughs> no, by the way, like I said, he went into a whole different direction. He, he could care less. He loves this today. He, he loved the fact that we, we brought it back and put it on Fox sports this past year during the pandemic. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I'd never thought I would be on air, but Chet Forty talked me into it. And then this was not one of those things where you, you, you tape once a week. This is because of the cost of this thing. This is one of these things that we tape the entire series over two weekends. So oh, here wow. I am, a complete novice, okay, thrown into this thing. And they would say, go, <laughs> go. Hmm. Talking about being, I was so terrified. I didn't have time to be terrified. But it was amazing because I think, so So I'm happy that you, you did that because I think what I took from from your performance is that you were the one who was bringing the excitement and like sort of the passion towards it like you 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 came across as someone who was like the the ultimate fan of of these teams and and these athletes um so i thought it was a it was a great sort well, thank of you duo you know that you guys had there um so yeah so no, I mean, it, it's it was- funny i i watch it now and and i i get i get those remarks from people and the skaters and the families and, um, you know, w- w- the, even Fox sports, uh, you know, they aired it, uh, you know, I, I, I got it on the air. I pitched ESPN and I fixed, uh, f- pitched, uh, Fox sports this past uh, year when the pandemic hit. And I said, uh, you guys, you're not going to have any sports. Right. I go, I, I, I've got something great. And, and ESPN said, get lost. And, you know, you're, you know, we're not interested you know, and Fox Sports basically said, where do we sign? Right. <laughs> you know, and I, literally my pitch was literally one paragraph with a with a uh, link to the original special, the mm-hmm. two hour special. But at that time, I had not up it. It looked like it was made 30 years ago. Uh, you know, it, you know, the old clips that are on YouTube, it looked like that. And when they said when they got uh, excited about, yeah, we'll put it on and not only that, but we'll put it on in prime time. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I've got a, I've got all the original tapes, all the one inch tapes that, that I've had all these years. And I decided I, I found a guy that could uh, remaster the tapes, up res them to uh, um, 16 by nine at 1080 P um, 60 frames per second. And uh, so I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I've got one, I'm, I'm going to preserve this for TV history. Yeah. And I did a deal with a guy and then we went in and we, uh, you know, I edited, I, I did certain edits that, that I had to, you know, I had to caption them and all that stuff. But I, the one thing I did is I, I had to take out all of those big music acts. Right. Right. Uh, they, they do rest. They, they, they are on YouTube independently in our roller stars channel. Uh, but I had to take them out because I didn't want to deal with all those music clearances yep. with, with all the publishers. And can you imagine me calling up somebody from 30 years ago and they go, yeah, well, that's been a resold and sold and resold. And you got to go track this guy down and that guy. And I just didn't want to have to deal with that. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't want to make any mistakes and all the rest of the music we owned, you know, that was part of the show. Right, so that right. was easy to clear. And, and by the way, DC Getchell, I did all that with me. He he came back 30 years later. I, I I took him out of retirement and he remastered all the music. Oh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Um so yeah, so let's let's talk. So one season, uh, maybe that's why you know it, it left my my brain for, for 10 years or so, but it seems as though it was popular, the ratings were good. Um, you know, I did some research, you know, the reason that I found online was I guess the production company went bankrupt or or something. But can you just talk about you know, the show sort of, you know, having it's uh, unceremoniously. Uh, yeah, you know, sure. Well, the production company wasn't the one that went bankrupt. That was us. It was the distribution company. Got, okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Uh, yeah. The distribution company was uh, a company called Quintex Entertainment. And Quintex was, uh, uh, an, uh, it was owned by an Australian guy who was, um, uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, arch enemy. He owned the other network in Australia. Hmm. Murdoch owned one. He owned the other. And he came to America and he was going to basically, he had this big 
idea that he was going to take over entertainment. And so he opened up this uh, big distribution company. And by the way, he did some, uh, that company did some remarkable uh, work, but he got a little too big for his britches. And he, uh, he, 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 he not only did roller, put up the money for roller games. He did Mr. TNT, I believe uh, the new leave at the beaver, a bunch of other shows. And um, he did not pay some of his production bills uh, for some of the studios. But the biggest thing that happened back then was that he attempted uh, and I, and for a brief period of time, uh, he was acquiring uh, MGM UA. And he just did not have the uh, he did not have the, the the resources to do all this, and so he he was financially strapped, and the company went under and it ended up in uh, bankruptcy. Uh, and it it took me, you know, the show was doing incredibly well, and we were I believe number fourteen. In, uh, amongst all syndicated shows, whereas American Gladiator was Gladiators was like forty second, and wow. you know, but they were with a company that that stayed in business, and they ended up getting seven or eight seasons. Uh, we only got one season, and we were ranked in the top fifteen. So, wow. you know, that it was a big, big, big disappointment. Um, it took me, you know, TV stations the way they ran it as they ran the original 13 episodes. And then they, of course, they ran, re-ran them as uh, reruns for 13 weeks. So it was actually on the air for about 26 weeks. And then the stations, they were calling going, Hey, uh, when, when's the next batch of, of uh, episodes? And we're like, Hey, we can't do anything. We're the, the, uh, this, this whole thing is tied up with this whole uh, thing with the distributor. And uh, we, we can't, uh, you know, we, we can't produce new episodes until this gets sorted out. So it took about a year to sort all that out. And we eventually got all of our rights back. But by that time, the TV stations had already moved on to something else. Gotcha. I mean, it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it is disappointing, although I'd probably be dead by now if I would have stuck with this <laughs> at some point, I probably would have put myself down there in the alligator pit and, you know, do, doing a, a stand up or something. And, and those suckers would have uh, probably come alive and, you know. <laughs> well, so, so one thing I like to ask uh, on the show is really, does it hold up when talking about something from the 80s and 90s and, you know, to up to the 2021 viewing standards? And honestly, I really think it does. Like, I really enjoyed, quote unquote, researching, right, which is watching the heck out of the YouTube episodes. And, uh, I mean, Jeff can attest, I was... Uh, singing along the theme song just while we, while writing some <laughs> notes um you know what do you think about it in uh you know in today's environment well if we were to re if we were to reboot it and there has been some talk it would have to be with uh, uh a company like uh netflix yep it would ha- it would have to be with a, a company that it, it could not be in traditional tv or tv syndication uh, because, you know, in, in order for it to work, it, it would have to have that over-the-top element, and it's not going to end up on broadcast TV by today's standards. The other, the other thing is that what I'd really like to do, I would love to do a uh, – I, I would love to do a dramatic series based on this whole thing, on how it all happened. Like Glow, it, right? Like the Glow uh, series? Like glow, 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 glow got, I think, four seasons. But yeah. even that, that whole thing about the alligators, I mean, that's a whole episode. I yeah. mean, you know, the, the, the whole controversy, the, the, how it happened, the, the, uh, the, you know, the, 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 all the comedy behind, uh, well, I'm not putting those players in there. They're going to get eaten. And the TV stations calling saying, we want the, the, the show that's going to eat, you know, the players are going to get eaten. That, I mean, I mean, there's, and I'm, by the way, I'm telling you stuff I can actually talk about right now. You know, I mean, yep. there's some, there, there, there are so many crazy things that occurred over the year. This thing took a year to develop a little bit over a year, almost a year and a half. So this was not like some idea that we had in uh, June and got on the air in September. You know, it, it took a whole year to put together. That, that, that year is probably amazing. I think, I think there's a book somewhere in there, David. 
it's it's i don't need you know it's it's beyond amazing the whole the whole training all the tryouts the, the shenanigans you know the competition between the players the uh i mean there were there were some um, th- these people were serious and by the way they all knew that we had like uh you know 80 players right mm-hmm. give or take and they all knew that we basically could make five or six of them stars right you know, each team had like a male star and a female star. And uh, then the coaches to some extent were stars and everybody else was, you know, they, they were there for, I don't, I don't want to say they were background because that would be unfair. They put too much time and effort and training into this. But as far as the storylines are concerned, you know, you got to focus on a half a dozen storylines. You can't focus on 80. Yeah. No, that's that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, we, you know, we were talking to Kirk Fogg in the last episode about you know potentially bringing Legends of the Hidden Temple back, and we told him if he did that he'd have to have uh, Boyd and I on as like either extras or or people in the movie. So we'll, we'll ask you the same thing if if you bring it back, or if Netflix wants to do a a glow type series of roller games, um, we'll we'll gladly volunteer to be to be extras in the background. So, you're in. You're in. <laughs> awesome. So, so the last, I mean, the last question I want to ask you is something that we, we typically ask when we have guests is, I mean, this was amazing. I mean, it's honestly like and more enlightening than I thought the conversation was going to go. Um, but we'd be remiss if we didn't ask what you've been up to um, since roller games. Um, you know, I, I, I continue to produce a TV. I, I produced uh, several, um, big shows after that i managed a number of people uh, i started a tv direct response company and did uh, infomercials as well and and one infomercial the year one year hmm. and then i got into um i got into uh all, all kinds of music ventures when when music was still very hot back in you know 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. Uh, then I got into uh, uh, you know, uh, investing and then and, and, and also on the radio side, you know, I produce programming that airs on about 300 stations and I control a lot of uh, ad inventory on, on uh, radio. And now I am, uh, you know, I am doing an uh, addition. By the way, I also started an internet company and, and launched a couple of big domains, domain names, not domain names, uh, URLs. Oh, nice. Like top level uh, stuff, right? Yeah. Top level. Yeah. I, I launched uh, back in the day, which was very big when clear channel was around, which is now iHeart. I launched dot CC. Hmm. And uh, then we, uh, then I, then I helped to launch dot TV and uh, some others, but, uh, and, and, and then I got into domain name uh, uh, brokering. Uh, you know, I, I, I started registering domain names in 1995 and sold a few of those and made some good money. Uh, you know, I have, you're busy, <laughs> you know, I, I will just say this. I tell people all the time. I think people say, you know, what in the world, how, how have you stayed relevant? And I, and, and it's very simple. And I tell kids and I mentor a lot of kids, by the way, I, I tell them, I say, look in today's world, as fast as it's moving and it's moving faster than the, than the speed of light, you're either a chameleon or you're a dinosaur. Yeah. And I, I choose to be a chameleon. So it's 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 constantly pivoting. It's constantly reinventing myself. No, I love that. I think that's, I mean, that's outstanding advice for anybody that's listening. And um, again, this was an amazing conversation. Uh, I think my appreciation of roller games is actually like 10x that, than it was before <laughs> this conversation. And uh, I, I will completely back you. I think that a little behind the scenes or a dramatization of what took place uh, in that year leading up would be amazing television or amazing Netflix or streaming. Um, so if, if you're not really pursuing that, I would, I would say go for it. This sounds awesome, but uh, you know, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you so much for, for responding and, and, and chatting with us. I don't know, Boyd, any last uh, second things? No, it's been, it's been fantastic. And we really appreciate the time. Likewise, guys, this has been very enjoyable and I appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing and all the podcasters out there that, by the way, it's, it's amazing what's happened in the podcasting world and we're going to see uh, some great things come from that. So uh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And I would just encourage everybody to go to the uh, YouTube. There's a lot of roller games 
content on YouTube and people say, why don't you, why don't you get all that stuff off of there? You know, because people load in, I, I can't believe the number of people that load in uh, even the video games, you know, they play mm -hmm. the video games and they have the whole thing on there. And, and, and then uh, the people that have, uh, I guess, VHS copies of what we did and they somehow they get those on YouTube and they look terrible. And I go, are you kidding? I, I, I love the fact that we had all of these people continue to have these, this nostalgia and these fans doing this. The last thing I'm going to do is give them a YouTube, a YouTube, a takedown notice. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but if you want to see the content that we're talking about in, in glorious HD, pristine, just absolutely amazing. You will have no idea this stuff was done in the prehistoric days of 1989, 1990. Uh, go to the uh, Roller Stars. It's not Roller Games. We call it Roller Stars because we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to expand this a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and build this out a little bit, but go to the roller stars channel on YouTube and you will see all of the original up uh, uh, episodes. We load in one every week. And I think we're up to number 11 right now. And we load in all of those original halftime shows because we can do that on YouTube because you know, the music clearance stuff is done by YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to see amazing clips that that we pulled from the series and some original things that didn't make it into the series so that's all on youtube right now and that's awesome we'll we'll drop a link in the show notes as well so everybody that listens to this will have a, a link right to the uh and, to the roller that, stars thank you and by the way the really easy way we, we made it so easy to find it on youtube just type in rollerstars.com and it, oh. it's a redirect to that page perfect that yeah sounds great yeah so yeah Again, appreciate this was awesome. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. We'll we'll talk to you another time, I'm sure. And it could be devastating. <laughs> You're the man, Dave. I appreciate it. <laughs>